Recovery Elevator, episode 171. I'm going to tear up probably when I talk about it, but I was like, really? There are all these other people out here who are just like me. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it because I thought I was all alone. I really did, Paul. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Tamara. She's 31 years old. She's been sober for 48 days at the time of the recording, and she's from Nashville, Tennessee. So, welcome back. Episode 170 was an interesting one. I did my best laying it out there, and I got a lot of feedback, and we're going to cover that at the end of this episode. Um, people had a lot of questions, and so I'm going to go over those, basically do like a you know, Q&A on the air, and so that's going to be after the interview with Tamara. In fact, today's precursor to Tamara's interview is about Tamara. At the time of the recording, Tamara was at version 2.0. At this moment right now, on May 22nd when I'm recording this, Tamara is on her way to being Tamara 3.0. Tamara's journey is still unfolding as we speak. In a way, all of ours are. But Tamara, after her interview, she drank, which is not a problem at all. In fact, I've done podcast episodes about where are they now. It would be silly. It would be irresponsible for me to think that everybody who's done an interview on this podcast stays sober for the remainder of their life. Hell, I just covered an episode 170 that I was probably closer to drinking than I thought I was. I was really uncomfortable. And Tamara drank, which is not a problem. We got a lot of things right in her interview. Her heart is the size of Jupiter. It's, it's amazing. I've got a personal relationship with Tamara. I met her in person at the Dallas retreat. She's been in Cafe RE Blue, and she's going to be just fine. But at this moment, guys, she's, uh, she's in an inpatient rehab facility in, in St. Louis. And let's just try something right now. She won't be able to listen to this when it comes out. She can't get messages or, or phone or phone calls. Let's just take a second and pray whatever you want to do. Send some love out to Tamara because she'll feel it. I know she will. So we're just going to take a couple seconds. Ready, go. So here's the cool thing with that exercise is that not all 15, 20,000 people listen to this podcast episode at once. So she's just going to get bombarded, like walking through a day. Like, oh, what was that? Okay. Uh, felt some, felt a warm hug there. Not sure where it came from. So, so thank you. I'm not going to get into the details of you know, why Tamara went into inpatient rehab. In fact, um, she has voiced that she might want to come back on the podcast, but we're going to go slow. We're going to go slow. It's not going to be day 31. Welcome back, Tamara. No, we're, we're going to go real slow. And if she wants to, great. And if not, that's totally fine as well. But when I did speak with her, she was able to see things in an optimistic manner, is in the gift of desperation. Or there is something positive in experiencing a new bottom. There is. Because without pain, that acute, that acute pain in the gut, the body, the head, the spirit, no change happens. And Tamara reached a new bottom. You know, everybody hits a bottom. And it was so cool to see the members of Cafe Ari Blue just rally, rally behind her. It was it was powerful. It was powerful. And 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 Tamara, we're we're gonna be just fine because we're all in this together and we're all right there with you. Okay. So let's get into the interview. Tamara, how are you? 
I'm doing well. It's a good day. Thanks, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Tamara, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Well, according to my sobriety tracker, that was my Paul Churchill impression. Thank you very much. I have been sober for 48 days. So I had a longer stint before, but I had a two-day whoopsie-daisy, also known as a relapse. Whoopsie-daisy just sounds a little bit cuter, but there's really, you know, nothing cute about that. Yeah, well, I give you a C plus, C minus a C plus on the Paul Churchill impression, but an A plus on the 48 days and the whoopsie daisy. That might be my new favorite term for relapse. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, whoopsie daisies were a, a huge thing. And if, if whoopsie daisies were a flower field, it would be full because that was a big part of my story. And so no worries there. We're going to get into all that stuff, Tamara. But before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, and what do you like to do for fun, Tamara? Sure. I am 31 and a half years old. I'm single and I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here for a little over two years. And for fun, I do fun things like uh, cooking. Cooking is pretty much my zen. I also love anything that gets me outside and moving. So hiking and running and being on the water or even just, you know, walking around a farmer's market or a park makes me happy. And I, I really love to travel as much as I have the opportunity to do that. And something that I'd say is newer to me in sobriety is that I really genuinely love to spend time with my friends. That used to be just kind of something people said <laughs> and something I would say I like to do, but I've, I've really been appreciating quality time with quality people more and more. So I, I love my book club and those girly weekend brunches and catching up with friends over coffee, all that jazz. Yeah, you said I love spending time with my friends and quality people. That would be a gift of sobriety. That's pretty sweet. I realized and recognized the same thing. Um, one, one question. So you're going to Peru. I cannot wait to, for this trip. It's going to be incredible. There's 24 of us. Um, but what what about this trip excites you? What are you looking forward about this trip? Everything. I'm looking forward to everything about this trip. It's been a bucket list trip for me anyway. But I think the thing I'm looking forward to most is the 24 people. And just really, we're going to spend a lot of time with each other. We're going to travel together. We're going to see each other like in raw moments. And so I'm just really excited to share with everybody and hear more about their stories and, and make them, again, just be around quality people and make them lifelong friendships, hopefully. You guys, and that was not a plug. Unfortunately, there are no more Inca Trail passes. The trip is full and there will be more in the future. But it, just like what you said, I'm looking forward to raw, genuine moments connecting um, at, a, in a, at a deep level in the sacred valley near Cusco. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, and let's, uh, let's talk about some alcohol. What do you say, Tamara? Cool. Let's talk about alcohol. Sweet. Okay. Well, let's talk about the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. When did you uh, realize your elevator had perhaps reached, reached its bottom and you wanted to quit drinking? And you can back us up a little bit before that and just give us a little background on your story. Yeah, well, so as far as my, I don't know, drinking history, if you will, what I love about your podcast, Paul, is I hear parts of All my of it. story. And, yeah, I, I, I hear myself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's everything. Um, yes, I do love everything about your podcast, Paul. Okay. There you go. But I love, I hear, you know, some of myself and can relate to every single story that's shared. But one, one way that I think uh, I mean, it's different than a lot of people in terms of my story is my very first drink was on my 21st birthday. And it was one pina colada at the Olive Garden, which is really adorable to me now, just given where I've ended up and 
kind of wish the story had ended after that one pina colada. But I really just drank intermittently throughout my 20s. And by all outward indications, I probably would have described myself as a normal drinker. But I just say that because when I grew up with, you know, in a family with very deep conservative Christian roots, my grandpa still a pastor of an evangelical Christian church. So I was basically raised to fear two things like the plague, and they were alcohol and credit cards. Like, alcohol was just something that we didn't talk about other than to say, like, don't do it. And I've since learned that it, it does run in my family, and that's part of the reason we just didn't talk about it, because it, it left some pretty scarring memories um, with my grandparents and my parents. So yeah, when I started drinking, I just, I felt like it was this best kept secret from me. I went through a breakup when I was 21 and started, you know, I went through that late bloomer partying phase where I'd party on the weekends with my friends. And I was like, this is, how dare they keep this from me? Like, this is amazing. (laughs) This helped me escape. They were, they were just keeping me from something that just makes me feel so good. It makes me forget about all of my problems. Um, And then as I just progressed throughout my twenties, and I just have to say, because for a while, I just racked my brain trying to figure out, like, when did this happen? Like, when did I start having a problem? Because I felt like I was normal for so long and that it was anything but a problem until it suddenly was. And I know that we know that this is a progressive disease, but I just have to say that that word progression is one that just strikes a huge nerve with me because it is a month. Can I say that word? Let's do That's it. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, okay. I, there's just a well, box I can check, an explicit or not explicit box. All I got to do is just to click at the mouse. So let's go ahead and drop that F-bomb right about now. Well, now I'm going now I'm gonna feel like shy about it. So I'll just say this disease is a mother effing, progressive, like sneaky, manipulative, just conniving B-word of a progression. And it's really scary for me how it went from all fun and games and laughs and giggles and me seemingly in control to just suddenly being painful, life-threatening, honestly, and just an absolute control over me. And that progression throughout my 20s was undetectable while it was happening. And that's the scariest part of all, you know, when you can't see that something is really slowly poisoning every part of your life and just making your mind, body, and spirit very, very sick. Tammy, can you so repeat started, that last 30 seconds? Because you said it beautifully. I just want you to repeat it again to let it sink in, especially the progression part. I don't want to like put you on the spot, but I loved how you said that. Yeah, I just, I think that it's a very sneaky and scary for me. I'm like, when I was defining, I'm going to repeat it, I promise. So when I was even defining the first step with my sponsor, I wanted to define the word became. And she was like, hmm, that's interesting. But that is such an important thing that really hit me is that it's such a slow sneaky progression and it goes seemingly suddenly from being not harmful at all and totally fun to being completely life-threatening and having total absolute complete control over my life and that change like I said is undetectable so you know by the time I started asking myself when did this happen the answer for me was really that it was happening that whole time I said it in the when I had that first pina colada at the Olive Garden, and it's just been slowly but surely happening ever since. I think when I first noticed that I might have a problem was when I actually, when I moved to Nashville, um, I was 29, and up until that point, I associated drinking with um, success almost. Um, it was a part of the culture of my career, and as I moved up the ladder, you know, I was hosting happy hours and entertaining clients, and I was looking around me at people who looked very successful, very happy. They were great parents. Their lives looked 
all put together and they were drinking every day. So I was like, I mean, it must be healthy and normal to drink every day. No problem. So when I moved to Nashville, all of these life changes were happening at once. I moved with my now ex. He and I had just gotten engaged. I was transferring into a new office and a new role. And these were all things, Paul, that I really wanted. And I was really excited for it, but they weren't making me happy. My new role was, first of all, draining the life out of me. And I was also coming to terms, you know, with my ex where it was, when it was just us, you know, we weren't surrounded by friends all the time. Um, That relationship just wasn't the right one. And our just values and goals weren't aligned. And I wasn't acclimating to Nashville or meeting new friends. And I was, I would complain about that a lot, but looking back, I'm like, well, that's probably because I was drinking at home alone every night. But up until that point, I just, I really thought that alcohol was I wanted and a choice I was making. I didn't think that I needed it. And kind of an aha moment was on my way home from work one day when I, when I first moved and I was coming home, going to cook dinner by myself. And I picked up one bottle of wine instead of a box which I usually got a box because it was like a mind trick. I couldn't track how much I was drinking. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this, this bottle is going to be enough. But if it's not, for some reason, which it probably will be, I have vodka in the freezer. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to me killing that whole bottle during the process just of making dinner. And I opened the freezer, no vodka. And Uh-oh. my brain like fired off like SOS, emergency, this is not a drill. I was like, I was in a panic because I was like fearful of being without, without it there. Like it was a comforting thing for me. And I knew I shouldn't drive down the road to get another bottle, but I I did it anyway. And the whole experience, I just had that first, hmm, that might not be a normal reaction to not having vodka stocked in the freezer. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that painful process of going from that first awareness that I might have a problem to last October when I finally threw up my hands. That took about a year and a half. Yeah. I think that's one of the best descriptions, explanations of the progression I've, I've heard yet on this podcast. And uh, like you mentioned, it, it is life threatening. It can a kill us, but B we're just not living life. And uh, it, it's fun and it's controlling. Like you mentioned, it's not a fire drill. I love that You said that your life is not controlled at your will. It is now controlled by an ulterior substance that is shit called alcohol. It's funny you said something, you know, looking back, things are so clear, but in the moment you're like, why am I not meeting friends and connecting with other people? It's like, well, you're at home drinking by yourself. <laughs> like it's not going to work out. But while you're in the moment, it's so clouded and convoluted and murky. Ah, oh, God, that drug alcohol is insidious is all hell. Let me back it up a little bit. When you first said there's two things you feared, like the plague, number one was alcohol. Did you say credit cards? Credit cards. Yeah, we were raised like Dave Ramsey children. Don't go into debt. Don't do it. Okay, okay. that's what I thought you said. I just want to double check. We were taught to work the checkbook really hard and the envelope cash system. Yeah, I was. my family feared credit cards. <laughs> yeah, I also fear uh, yeah, 14 15% interest rates. So we're on the same page. That's, um, both of those are solid teachings from your family. <laughs> so they were on to something. Uh, yeah. And, and so up to the end, you know, describe your drinking habits and, you know, when did you first, when did you first try to quit and did you put any rules into place? Oh, the rules. Yes. I, all the rules I tried. I, I, I mean, I've tried the same rules that um, I hear on the podcast all the time. You know, in the beginning I'd set that there were rules in the form of like goal time frame where I felt like I needed to limit it or 
have a dietary restriction or something to earn it. So I'd go, you know, the week without drinking and then earn it on the weekends and go hard. Or I'd do a, a juice cleanse so that I could earn my wine calories or something. But I think the, the best illustration of my rules and the progression are one one year my my roommate and I who he's still my very best friend but we lived together for about four years in my early 20s and one year after these massive like Tim Burton style ice storms where everything is just covered in ice and electricity is going out all the time we were just pulled up for like a week and for whatever reason we just made white Russians all week I don't know why we chose white Russians but that became our thing like it's snowing let's make white Russians Mm -hmm. and after going pretty hard we decided that we were going to do this March cleanse like for the month of March we were just not going to drink yeah and so we got through March it was sober March which doesn't rhyme like sober October no it doesn't But we made it through, and I remember being kind of mad, like, or just annoyed, like, I clearly don't need it, otherwise I would have to drink. I just want it, and I don't understand why I'm not drinking, and I can't. So the next year, I was like, because I declared proudly, this is going to be a thing, I'm going to do this every March, it kind of jumpstarts the spring, and, you know, the next year it became well, I'm only going to drink on weekends. And then the next year it was, well, I can drink anytime, but just wine. <laughs> and then the next year, by by like a few years later, some friends knew that I did that. They were like, are you doing that cleanse thing? And I was like, no, that's stupid. Why would I do that? Because <laughs> I couldn't. There was no way that I would be able to go a couple of days without alcohol. Yeah. With, did you ever put the rule in place, you know, thinking like, when was it not a problem that you're, you can only drink pina coladas at Olive Garden? <laughs> You know, that's one rule that did not cross my mind. So I guess I, you, thank you for keeping me honest. I did not try every rule. No, so I think you asked, yeah, my elevator's bottom, by the t- like my drinking habits by the time I gave up. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was drinking every single day. In fact, the day I just, like I said, threw up my hands. You know, they say surrender. And give us an age. Was- when, when was this? I was 31, my current age. Cool. Sweet. But I was regular 31. Now I'm 31 and a half. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I know you're putting up like a half sign while you're saying that. You're putting your hands up at the same time while you're saying that. How did you know? We're doing Skype. I can see you. Oh, right. That's that's a lie. That's not true. That <laughs> is very creepy. That no, I we're not, listeners, that. we are not doing Skype, but I'm pretty sure she just counted 31 on her fingers. I'm kidding. You guys, Paul knows everything. He's everywhere. The word would be omniscient, I think. <laughs> Yeah, so I had had way lower lower moments before, and I can totally talk about those oh shit moments, but kind of my readiness moment, my readiness bottom, when I was finally ready to actually look at drinking as the problem and giving up drinking, that, that might need to be the solution. It was last October, and I was just sitting at home on my couch with my now ex-boyfriend just watching something on TV, and I had been drinking all evening, of course. Um, that had become the norm, usually vodka, and I was making what I thought were super sneaky trips. My hidden stashes of vodka, which I later learned weren't as sneaky as I thought. My ex was kind of like, yeah, I know when you're drinking, it's pretty obvious. Hmm. So my stealth mode isn't so stealthy after all, but we were just sitting there, and I just remember Paul having this very simple but really profound moment where I thought, okay, I'm drinking every day, check. I'm getting drunk every day, check. It's not fun anymore. Check. It leaves me totally depressed usually. Check, check, check. I mean, all of the things that I had recognized in the list that I'd gone through before, but the critical aha moment was when I thought, and by the way, I have no ability to stop. I mean, I had been 
just racking my brain so long trying to figure out what was wrong with me and how I could feel better. And I knew that drinking probably exacerbated certain things and other things probably exacerbated my drinking, AKA offered excuses. But that was the first time I was really willing to look at alcohol because I had just tried to point to anything and everything else. Like if I fix my relationship, then I'll be able to drink less or, you know, if my work situation is all buttoned up and I'm in a group there, then I'll be able to cool it with the drinking. And I just kept looking to fix like problem after problem. Um, and all that was left was alcohol. Mm. I was just kind of off in la-la land and on the verge of tears. And my ex asked what was wrong. And I basically, I said exactly all of those things out loud to him. I didn't sugarcoat it. I think I also maybe even said that I needed to go to a rehab facility or something. I can't remember exactly because I mentioned I was really drunk. But that's how desperate I was. And uh, my ex, being honestly one of the best human beings I know, was just very encouraging. He said that we were going to figure this thing out. He was going to help however he could. And so the next morning when I woke up, it was October 4th, and it just felt like the day to stop. And I think that's because there's some kind of power when you acknowledge it out loud to Mm -hmm. somebody that you're so close to. So he called around midday and said that he had been listening. He was on a work road trip and he had been listening to recovery podcasts all morning, trying to find something I might like. And he's like, a lot of them are okay, but I heard just one. And he's like, I know you don't like being told what to do, but could you please just try one episode? Um, And it of course was recovery elevator. And I was like, okay, after putting him through the ringer last night and kind of dropping this bomb, I think I could just listen to one episode for at least enough that I could say that I listened to it. (laughs) And I ended up just binge listening all day long and I'm going to tear up probably when I talk about it, but I was like, really, there are all these other people out here who are just like me. I mean, I I couldn't believe it because I thought I was all alone. I really did, Paul. Mm. And now I know that there are countless others, many of them just walking around thinking that they're all alone. But at the time, just hearing story after story and seeing myself and people, that was huge. So I just jumped on the on board the recovery train full force, downloaded the tracker, joined Cafe RE, and started journaling and writing a lot. So one thing you said about 15 minutes ago that related to me was the word relate. You were able to relate to every story on the podcast, and what that means is you were ready. You were ready to focus on the similarities and not the differences. And so, I, Tamara, I love your story so much. This is incredible. And what was it like the first day, first three days, first week without alcohol? Really weird. It was really weird. I, I thought that the physical effects would be worse, but what I learned is I was having the physical effects of detox every time I thought that I was hungover. So I was pretty used to that, <laughs> that whole um, anxiety. I will say the anxiety was, was really difficult. The, after a relapse, I had a binge for two days. And after that, the, that part was probably magnified 10 times worse. I anxiety. Ate, oh yeah. It was, it was just awful, but, but it was just weird to begin with because kind of going like feeling that weird compulsion when I would, leave for work or come home to just turn towards the liquor store. It was like, I was taken aback by how, how much of a compulsion it was and how much that had been a security blanket. And I would, it was just a battle to go, okay, no, go home, just go home because I wanted to tell myself I just needed it on hand just in case, like just in case. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really weird and weird because people call it the pink cloud, I guess, but weird because I was feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something, this is it, I'm doing something good for my life. I am finally on the right track. And that part of it felt just really good. 
And, and Tamara, I have had the pleasure of, of seeing you go from Tamara 1.0 to 2.0 to seeing your wings blossom and take flight. You had a whoopsie daisy and who gives a crap? It doesn't matter. And it's, it's been very enjoyable to see like your first day in cafe RE you, you made ripples. You did. And you made splashes. You were doing videos. It's cool to see somebody fully embrace the community and, and someone like you, like we're so lucky to have you, but I think if you would have gone to smart AA or refuge, any other thing, like you would have kicked ass regardless, but it's been this amazing transformation. And I'm here to give you a genuine thank you to helping me and, and to, to allow me to witness this. It's so cool to see. And so, you know, and, and there are some, God, the transformation from Tamara 1.0 to Tamara 2.0 is beautiful. Ha, has everybody been on board with that transformation? Do you understand the question I'm asking? I like everybody in my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, everybody hasn't. I've, you know, I've, I have had the like tremendous blessing of a crazy supportive family. You know, I got the drinking gene, my brother, my little brother, I don't think got the gene from my dad and me, the addictive personality, because I soaked it all up. <laughs> but so he's a normal drinker. He and his wife. Yeah, I was like, sorry, bro, that's all gone. All used up. I took it. And my parents, who don't really drink and, again, are very conservative, I was nervous about opening up to them. And they, like, they just go to bat for me like you wouldn't believe. And my, you know, coworkers have been incredibly supportive. But, no, not everybody's been on board. You know, I, I – had to lose a relationship with somebody that I thought I was going to be with forever. And while, you know, it, it wasn't all related to the sober life I'm living, like what sobriety has allowed me to start push. It's allowed me to basically stop being short-sighted and behave in like, you know, a short-sighted way and think about, Oh, these are the things I'm meant for. These are my values. These are my goals in life and where I'm going. He just couldn't come because he was going in a very different direction. So because I'm finally like getting spiritually healthy and striving for the things that feed my soul and make me happy, travel and um, surrounding myself with really deep, meaningful relationships, I think that that's where certain people have fallen by the wayside. But I, it's hard to, to focus on or talk about like people who aren't on board because I honestly don't notice it that much because I've gained so many new actual meaningful relationships some of them really deep some of them more surface level but they're the right people in my life because I'm able to be open and transparent about my recovery and my struggles and my highs and my lows mm -hmm. with um, the people I choose to surround myself with I love it and let's let's chat about this whoopsie daisy for a second and you know what did you learn from it and, and what, you know first off what do you think brought it on because how many days of sobriety you had you had almost 100 right or more than 100 yeah, more than that. Yeah. So what it, do you think brought it on, and then what takeaways did you have from it? Well, so I I went on a work trip, and it kind of felt like almost the kind of girls' trip environment, and so everybody else was drinking. And when I got home, I just – I think what brought it on, Paul, is, you know, they say that this is a mental, physical, and spiritual disease. I nailed the physical part, obviously, by just getting sober – the mental part, I think I have that pretty down pat too. Like this, I read this naked mind and I had a pretty good understanding of why I drink and what to do when those thoughts come, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of run it through the computer and this is how to stay sober. So I had that, a pretty good mental understanding. But what I didn't understand is because I didn't know what spiritual health really meant. I didn't have, you know, 
that mental understanding and the physical sobriety only got me so far without taking action to, to work on myself and improve my life. And I had tried AA a couple of times. I had dabbled, but I didn't think it was for me. I didn't think that that was my crowd or I could see a place for myself there. But that honestly is what I was missing is that understanding there's a spiritual aspect to this too. And I had been spiritually dying. I mean, when you're not, when you're not doing the thing, living out what you know you value, when you're not feeding your spirit by living out the things that drive you, to me, that's the definition of dying spiritually. And that's where I was. So simply having physical sobriety and a mental understanding without work just wasn't working. And the work that I personally needed to do to address what's underneath my drinking problem is I'm, I'm doing through AA now. I think that was the missing piece, but it just, I think I'm, I, looking back, probably made a whole series of baby steps to that relapse where I just kind of turned, turned off my mind. But when it happened, I can't, I, I can't give an, you an excuse or like an impetus to it. I just chose, it was like, I just shut off that part of my brain and that was that. And Tamara, gosh, you're spot on. You're, you're, you're freaking spot on where alcohol destroys us spiritually, mentally, physically in that order. The recovery happens in reverse order, but alcohol kills us spiritually. It just destroys us spiritually. And I'm so happy for you that you, that you now know that that perhaps is, is, you know, the physical mental part check, check. Like that's where you need to go moving forward. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. And and what takeaways are, I guess, yeah, what takeaways from that are you going to implement in your daily life? And also walk us through a typical day in your recovery, Tamara. Oh, yeah. I love this question because I'm like, ooh, I have an answer for this. They're all good, I- Tamara. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> They're all my favorite. Um, because this is just so top of mind for me right now. So, first of all, AA is a daily part of my life. I haven't gone to a meeting every single day like I wanted to, but some some form of working on, you know, the 12 steps or reading or journaling is involved in my day-to-day. I start my mornings, actually, and this is part of the whole spiritual health thing, I guess. I start my mornings rather than just rolling out of bed after hitting snooze 10 times <laughs> and, um, you know, going right to picking up my phone and getting to work or getting ready. I... I still sometimes hit the snooze button, but I deliberately will lay there for a couple of minutes just thinking about my day, kind of almost setting my intention for the day. Um, and then immediately I, I physically drop to my knees and I say the serenity prayer so hard and just pray that God helps keep me sober just for that day. And from there, I, uh, I'm, I make an effort to, I don't do it perfectly, but I make an effort to meditate for a few minutes. I have an app on my phone. And if I know it's going to be a really hard day, I try not to listen to, like, the negative news or any kind of stressful, like, music or media. I try to listen to, like, your podcast or something uplifting because I've, I've just learned that starting my day that way, it's like putting on my armor for the day. Because some things I know are going to be stressful and temptation, um, but life just doesn't care about your plans and it will hit you out of nowhere. I've experienced that through a relapse, how it comes out of nowhere. So I, my morning routine is a big part of my recovery right now and trying, it's small things, but I'm trying to get that down and consistent so that I, I feel more just like on guard for my day. I love it. I love it, Tamara. And a couple other questions before we hit the rapid fire round. You know, what have you learned about yourself in sobriety, Tamara? Oh my goodness. I've learned that I deserve, you said there would be curveball questions and that's one of them. I've learned that well, other than spiritually dying, I've learned that I deserve the things that I want. 
and I have been basically taking all kinds of detours by looking, you know, alcohol had me just thinking about the here and now and that very short term fix and feeling better, just not being bored, just avoiding boredom. And I'm learning that to have the things that I want, first of all, it's okay. And it's okay to, you know, let things like my faith play a role in my life and in conversations rather than hiding it and ignoring it out of fear that it means I'm not going to be able to relate to people who don't believe that I believe. I've learned that that's ridiculous. If I were a vegetarian, I would be able to relate to carnivores. But I'm also just learning to um, work towards my value and kind of ignore all of the the noise and, and make the right decisions that get me where I want to go. So, like, I can't expect to live a life of travel and have kids if I choose to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want those things. Mm -hmm. I can't expect to have deep, meaningful connections if I'm not investing my time and energy in people and then showing up to my commitment. And I can't say, you know, that I want to be a wife to a man who is X, Y, and Z without first working on myself to be X, Y, and Z. So those are things I'm learning to do to work on, work on myself. I'm learning about my flaws and the things I need to work on. And what's on your bucket list in sobriety, Tamara? Um, besides Peru, I would like to... I would like to work the steps that that truly is on my bucket list. When I actually read through them, I got I kind of read one, two, and three, and I was like, okay, okay, okay. I got to step four and I was like, oh shit, this is scary. And that that's what I crave right now. I'm actually really, it's kind of what made me dive into Alcoholics Anonymous and doing that program and trusting that program and trusting a sponsor because I really want, I really want to improve myself. So that would be on my bucket list. Nice. I love it. And, and Tamara, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. Question number one, Tamara, are you aware just how freaking big your heart is? Oh, Paul, are you, let me guess, are you doing your hands like, are your hands outstretched like this big? Tamara, we're on Skype. You can see me, you can see me doing it. So you don't have magical powers there. <laughs> Thank you. Stop avoiding the question also, Tamara. <laughs> Thank you. That's my favorite thing about myself, actually. I have a lot of um, a lot of uh, character things to work on, but that thank you for recognizing that because that is my goal in life is to, to care about people. <laughs> I guess you kind of answered the question. I was hoping it just for it's kind of yes or no, not multiple choice. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Yes, thank you. There we go. We can move on. Tamara, we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you might not be able to control your drinking? Oh boy. Okay. Ready for a Debbie Downer? <laughs> Let's do it. I, I'll try to keep this short. I, I just put on a propeller hat. I'm like hitting the propeller on the top of the hat. Let's do this. Oh, I know. I, I can totally see you. We're on Skype. Um, <laughs> I keep forgetting. So, Damn it. <laughs> it was definitely, you know, I, I was at, at that point like a few months leading into when I finally had that, okay, I'm done. I drinking was launching me into states of such intense, intense depression that I started actually doing something. I'm not proud of this. It's really humiliating to admit, but I started cutting myself. And, you know, the first couple of times it was kind of minor scratches on my arms and my wrists that I could they heal. They didn't scar and I could hide them because it was over the winter. But then because I'm a genius, I figured I could cut my feet and hide that more easily. And I still don't, I, I, I still don't know fully you know, I don't have a full explanation for why I was doing it, but I think it was just something that I felt so out of control over everything else and especially over my alcohol consumption that it was almost like something that I could control 
and like feel like there's this punctuation mark on my evening so that I could have I could go to bed having controlled something and that's that's really sick but that's how sick that's how sick I had become and one night I cut myself uh too deeply and couldn't stop bleeding and long story short a friend um who I'd asked for help really kind of super casually and calmly thinking I could trick her into thinking like it was an accident and I was sober I ended up in the in the emergency room and they put me on a protective hold mm. that night humiliating experience after humiliating experience like I had to because I tried to leave apparently had to stay in they said we either have to handcuff you to the bed or you are going to stay in this room next door that locks from the outside and so I slept on this like box with a sleeping pad on it that they called a bed and was in like had to turn over all my belongings was in like paper scrubs that were disposable and sobering up in that room um and kind of as things memories of that evening were coming to me as I was sobering up and you know my foot was all messed up that was definitely my worst memory Tamara, you are a genius. I know that for a fact. Um, I've got to know you on a personal level, and you get a full ride to college and nailed all that jazz. There's nothing short of a heck of a lot of intelligence going on in that brain. And thank you for sharing that. I know it's hard. Um, it might not be your proudest moment, but I'm proud of you for sharing because I know a lot of people can relate. And you, you said it perfectly. Uh, I was just at a retreat, which will be dominating this podcast airways, uh, this episode and the episode prior. But there was a, a biocognitive science named Dr. Mario Martinez there, and I asked him um, about cutting and trichotillomanias where, where people pull out their eyebrows and their hair follicles, and it's exactly that. It's control, and it's a release of anxiety. It, that's how he said it. It was like, oh, it's easy. It's, that's a control issue, and you're releasing. It's like a purge of anxiety. You've got so much anxiety built in you. You don't know how to get rid of it, and you cut it, and you're at a point in your life where you're so out of control. And we've already said this a couple of times in this interview is you realize that you be, your life has become manageable and completely out of control, and there you go. Look, I can control this cutting thing, and, and so you nailed it. And thank you for sharing that. I, I really do appreciate it. I've still got my propeller hat, and I'm flipping it. I'm spinning it. You can see it because this is Tamara 2.0. <laughs> That's behind us. And if we have another – Tamara 2.0. Tamara 2.0, everybody. Tamara 2.0. And look, if we have another whoopsie-daisy, that's fine because we're going to get right back on track, and I know it. I know it. I know it. We're also going to try to not have another whoopsie-daisy. We're going to do our best at all costs. We will do our best sure. at all costs. But if we do, we're going to pull up that baby photo on your phone and love ourselves to death. Promise me that. <laughs> yes, I promise. Okay. Next question. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Tamara? So in the words of Missy Elliott, is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Yeah, I have season tickets <laughs> to AA. That is, that's my plan. That's really hard. I'm going to continue my morning routine and listening to the podcast, participating as much as possible in Cafe RE because I've noticed that the more tools I'm adding to my tool belt or toolbox, whichever of those I have, Toolkit. Um, the more benefit I get out of other tools. So I'm just committed to – keeping on track with all of those things and also just continuing to build like the relationships and the kind of communities and the connections that I began to establish and being really open and honest and vulnerable with people as much as possible, because that has been a, a big tool for me is, is if I'm, if I go into hiding or I feel like I'm going to be judged or I feel insecure, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a very outgoing introvert. And so my default is going into isolation and into hiding and so the more I'm open with people and give them an opportunity to judge me, um, the more that helps in my recovery. 
there are so much tools available to us. You know, toolbox, toolkit, tool belt. My plan is to be the biggest tool of all. Wait, no, there's there's got to be a better way to say that, but you get the point. Um, I be, I I might be a little confused, but um, <laughs> sorry, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. Oh gosh, just kidding. Uh, I nailed that one a long time ago. Next question: Besides the recovery, all your podcast, Tamara, what's your what's your you favorite re, what's your favorite resource in recovery? Oh, hands down, Cafe Re. And I know you're not plugging it, but I'm going to plug it because okay. hands down, it is Cafe Re. I love the podcast too. I am getting so much benefit from AA and prayer and a lot of other tools. But the people on Team Blue, as I call it, <laughs> I love it. are always there. I love it. It's a resource that's there around the clock. So anytime that I'm just whether I'm struggling or just need to vent or whether I'm like happy or just have random thoughts, I can post anytime. And there's something really powerful about that group and watching other people's journeys and encouraging them when they need it or just need a sounding board to, to vent themselves. Um, and you get a lot of wisdom or I get a lot of wisdom and advice from other people that they share. And I, you know, shamelessly steal from what they're doing and saying, mm-hmm. but there's, there are a lot of recovery tools, like you said, and a lot of them I need, but that one is my favorite. And speaking of that advice, uh, what's in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? We took the elevator down. We have to take the – I'm just kidding. You freaking um, punk. All the best. <laughs> <laughs> cool now. But the advice that sticks with me the most is in the form of a question that my sponsor asked me because, you know, I, I called her about something, like a decision I was trying to make, and I was like, oh, I don't know if it's the right what the right decision is because – I'm so focused on recovery and is this going to be a distraction or is this something I should still do? And she said, she kind of brought it all together when she said, okay, when there's no moral right or wrong here, she asked me, she said, what is your motivation? And that hit me because like I said before, it, it that advice, what is my motivation in this moment when there's no clear cut right or wrong morally, that guides me towards is basically for me, that means is this, um, reflecting who I am and who I want to be, or is this just going to be a distraction or something to keep me from getting bored and give me temporary relief? Mm-hmm. I love it. And then what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are in recovery or thinking about taking this journey? First of all, you are not alone. There are people just like you. There are people just like you, and they're everywhere. Some of them you know of, and some of them are probably just secretly walking around amongst you without anybody else knowing that they're struggling too. And the second piece of advice, I don't know if that's advice, but know that you're not alone. There's, I would say, share your story, any opportunity you get, whether you're thinking about doing this, share what you're struggling with. You're, if you're just starting to do this and try it out, share your story. Because the truth is, like, no, no perfect story, no comeback happens unless there's a setback first. And so there, there's no shame and there's no shame in this. There's no shame in doing this. So just talk to people. I love it. I, I can't, I can't give enough praise to that sentence right there. Talk about it. You can't go to Tamara 2.0 unless you're stuck with 1.0. I mean, it's a rebirth that we have the opportunity to do and it's incredible. And before we depart, Tamara, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line and I heard some good ones in there. So I'm excited for this. Ooh, yeah, I have two. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, okay. It wasn't like what parting pieces of guidance can you give the listeners? You went ahead and get, gave two. The question was one. So oh. sure, I guess. Just just go ahead. Do whatever you want, Tamara. This is your interview. Right. I'm just yeah. kind of listening. No, thanks for the rules clause. Just that like as a general rule, like just kind of like to break the rules. So yeah, okay. you might be an alcoholic if 
when discussing oral surgery aftercare with your doctor, your very first question is, how soon after my gum graft can I drink wine? Oh, yes. <laughs> right. Second one. <laughs> my other one is, you might be an alcoholic if you're tagging along on a work trip with your boyfriend. It's first thing in the morning, and when he asks what's in your swell bottle, you joke that it's vodka and say, just kidding, and really, it's vodka. Oh, I love it. Two for two. Tamara. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. I cannot wait to do the Inca Trail with you and 24 other sobriety warriors. This is going to be a blast. Keep doing it. You're awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate this opportunity to share a little bit. And you're killing it. You're doing awesome. Can't wait for Peru. And thank you so much. All right. Thank you, Tamara. And before we get to the Q&A, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Welcome back. So today is Tuesday, May 22nd. The big podcast reveal came out yesterday. And um, uh, last Wednesday, I did it in video format for uh, the Recovery Elevator groups. We've got nearly 500 members. And God, guys, it was hard. It was hard. It's still hard today. It, there was a lot of, lot of growth on my end. And um, a lot, uh, you know, like I said, I'm feeling. I'm alive. There were you know, people expressed their opinions. You know, tell me how you really feel type stuff. Uh, both on my cell phone, my email, and in the Facebook groups. People made videos, hey, I'm starting a new group, follow me. And it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But it's, it's a good reaction. Is, it's a good lesson to see that a lot of it's control. A lot of it is control. I can't control their reaction. And their reaction has nothing to do with me. And it's hard to see it that way. But their reaction has nothing to do with me. And also my reaction has nothing to do with them. Apparently, I do care what others think about me, and it's it's fun to say. You know, I just read the book, The Subtle Art of I'm Not Giving a Fuck, um, but apparently I, I give fucks about what others think about me, and there were some others. There were some people that have been in my recovery circle for, for two, three years, and, and they don't see it my way, and that's okay, even though it hurts, and I, it was, it, guys, I'll be honest, it was really, really hard days, really hard days, but guess what? It was all healthy. Here would be a real fucked up scenario is if I went through all that and I didn't feel anything, right? If I was just comatose or numb, kind of like the previous years in my life while I was, yeah, I just, I wasn't awake. And so now I'm awake, right? And you know, I'm, I went on there and talked about this, this crazy experience and how I'm awake now. Well, guess what? I get to feel some pretty uncomfortable feelings. And, and that's what I did. I sat so much in the last five days. I meditated every day. I sat and I was with the feelings and, and I didn't drink. I mean, that's, that's numero uno. Like that's, that's the big bonus. I sat with it. I called a lot of people. I've got a meeting with a counselor today. We're going to cover some things. And, and here's the deal. Like there's nothing wrong with, with the people's reactions. There's nothing wrong. They're all beautiful. 
like I said, their reaction, if they don't see it my way, it has nothing to do with me. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't. And it, it, the same thing goes with me. It, if somebody doesn't see it my way, like that, that's on me. That that's my reaction is based out of fear and, and same thing with their reactions. And a lot of people's recovery world, what this recovery direction was supposed to look like, you know, if it's not AA, smart recovery, yoga, meditation, exercise, this nutrition, then like it can't work. And guys, my, my recovery portfolio was rocked at the same time. I walked out of that experience. It was like, holy buckets. Like what, what now? And and it's going to take a long time for some people to fully wrap their head around it. And again, if they don't, it's all beautiful. It's all beautiful. Okay. So let's get into some Q and a stuff here. First off, it was, there was not a pitch. I, I understand. I came off is like an evangelist about this stuff. Uh, I was so nervous and scared and I'm also so excited. Um, I no way was I compensated by any company to do this. In fact, right now I'm totally regretting it. Wish I hadn't done it. I, I'm kidding on that. Like I I'm, I know I had to do it. My heart's still telling me I did the right thing, but it, there was no, nope, not a pitch. I'm not trying to sell on, on sell anybody on something. In fact, I, I did, a, I did my, I did my best to not say the words, you should try, you should do this. All I did was share an experience. <laughs> there was a lot of people that had concern for me. Paul, are you on something? Right? Uh, no, I have not been on ADD meds, AKA amphetamines for, uh, for a while. I, I've not, I'm not on anything. And I definitely was not on anything during the video, during the podcast. I was, I'm happy. It is like this strange new Paul and guess who else is, is, is having a tough time or like, guess who else is getting used to the new Paul. And that's me, that's me. So that's it. But a lot of it was like genuine concern. And, and again, my reaction at first, I didn't see it as genuine concern. So thank you. If it was genuine concern. Okay. Moving forward. Do you have to be on board with this experience to be a part of cat fairy or B continue to listen to the podcast? Absolutely not. You might totally disagree about what I went through and what I did and what I experienced, and you can still be part of the podcast or cat fairy. There's that AA adage of take what you want and leave the rest. What I do encourage you of having is an open mind guys. I was in a really rough place. I was suicidal. I found something that worked for me and I'd shit, be happy for me. I'm not there anymore. feels good. We have a lot of new people in cafe already. And there's, you know, is, is this good for new people? Look, I don't know that yet. I don't know for me I would say this is like a, like a last effort type deal. There's a lot of other things to try before this. Um, that's what I'm going to say now, now about it. Um, yeah. So I, again, I don't know about that one. There's a hell of a lot of other things that I tried before this. And that's what I recommend as well. People were saying there were some major red flags that came up in A, that podcast, and B, watching your reveal video. And my response to that is good. That's good. There were some major red flags that came up for me when I did the research. You know, what if I become addicted to ayahuasca? What if this? What if that? What if this? What if that? What if I go crazy down there in Costa Rica? What? There's a lot of major red flags. And the more research I did, the more knowledge that I acquired about it, the better I felt. And then when I found out that Bill W did LSD and ayahuasca, again, I did not do LSD. I've never done it, but he did ayahuasca. And that was kind of the framework of how he started the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was like, you know what? I need to go. I need to go. And this is where my journey took me. Okay. Podcast direction. Um, it's not going to change much. It's not. Some people said, Hey, I no longer trust Paul guys. That's totally fine. You know, I, I was being honest and that, that was how I was, but if you're, if you're trusting in, in this guy, it was, is, was, was, uh, was faltered. That's, that's totally fine. There's, there's great other recovery podcasts out there. 
tons of really good recovery podcasts. Omar, Shane, the Sober Guy podcast, the Share podcast. Why do I always say those three? <laughs> They're really good, but there's a bunch other that's out there, guys. So no worries. One question was, do you, do you think you'll be able to drink responsible in the future? That's a, that's a good question. That's a really good question. And, you know, I was saying my addiction is gone and that's like kind of jumping the gun. I feel like today, today I've, I've never wanted to drink less than I've had in my entire life. All of this doesn't really have much to do with alcohol. There's some underlying root issues. And so I, I look at like caffeine different. Uh, I, I drink decaf tea in the morning. And before I went down there, I was drinking five, four to four to five to six cups a day. Um, the thought of a cigarette, oh my God, it just makes me, makes me like uh, want to throw up. Um, the thought of anything entering my body that makes me not want to feel like Paul Churchill, you know, that to go not being that, that innocent soul inside me is just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good anymore. So anyways, I, I hoped I answered some questions and no way do I want to convince anybody. Again, it's, this is not a pitch. You need to do what's right for your journey. And that's it. So, and like I said, the podcast is not going to change much. There might be an interviewee sprinkled in there in the future who has also had this experience. I don't know yet. I don't know, but I do know is my heart's telling me to move forward and I'm excited. I'm excited. It's been a tough couple days, but once the dust settles, everything's going to be just fine. I know it. Okay. Thanks for sticking with me guys. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.